Welcome to the Pet Show with Jimmy Jelinek and Dennis Quaid. As we approach the waning days of summer, and with it our return to the concerns of the winter months and the frightening specter of being completely overwhelmed by this pandemic, I've decided to share with you all a campfire story, born of the rugged woods of Appalachia. What you're about to hear may or may not be true, but when dealing with the legend of Sasquatch, questions of truth become blurred with one's concept of reality. When you're alone in the woods and the fire is drawn to a flicker, and the sounds of a nearby beast echo in your mind. Thump, 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 as it approaches. Does it really matter what you believe or don't believe? Rather, somewhere out there is a beast lurking in the woods, ferocious and hungry. That is the topic of today's special episode of The Pet Show. So grab a flashlight and prepare yourself for a mind-bending journey to the outer limits of truth. The Sasquatch awaits. A few weeks ago, while on assignment for this show, I took a detour down to the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina to try and track down a story I'd heard about a giant saxophone-playing beast who lived in the woods alone. For the past few months, instances of his existence have been broadcast on YouTube and Instagram and elsewhere across the internet. In these videos, the beast, known only as Sex Squatch, plays smooth, sexy covers. I watched his haunting covers of Every Breath You Take and one more time, they had me completely floored with their virility and their magic. And from the moment I first saw these tapes of the beast performing in the woods, I knew immediately that I would have to try and find him. If not for me, then for science and for the entirety of the easy listening genre, contact would have to be made. If there was a seven-foot-tall jazz prodigy lurking in these woods, I would find him. But how? To gain some background on the Sasquatch, I turned to his foremost authority. Dr. Jeffrey Meldrin, who is a tenured professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University and has studied Bigfoot for most of his professional career, authoring the landmark Sasquatch Legend Meets Science in 2006 for the American Journal of Physical Anthropology. My name is Dr. Jeff Meldrum, and I'm a professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University. And it's from that perspective that I approach the question of Sasquatch, Yeti, Yaren, uh, Orang Pendek, Almas, all these potential relic hominoids, or persistent lineages from a very bushy family tree uh, that may actually still exist alongside Homo sapiens in various uh, remote uh, and not so remote corners of the globe. He explained to me that the true evolutionary origins of the Sasquatch remain unknown due to the inability to collect any reliable DNA from the creature. Instead, he speaks of a creature closer to that of our closest cousin, the ape, and even more accurately, the now extinct giant ape known as Gigantopithecus. 
somewhere along the evolutionary tree, this animal and the Neanderthal might have bred, and its descendant is the creature for which we search. That said, we have only footprints, a few hair samples, and grainy photos and film for which we make these assumptions. But in my quest to understand Sasquatch, I needed to better understand Sasquatch within the context of our own myths and literature, and why he has enthralled humanity for so many centuries. Well, it, um, there, there's many layers. It's like, it's like an onion. You can peel back different, different um, uh, layers of significance. Take, take the, the most fundamental. We, we call these the wild men of the woods. Sasquatch actually translates roughly as wild men of the woods. The woods have always held mystery and intrigue. They've, they've been, you know, in, from a mythological and even a literary uh, perspective, the forest was the symbol of the uncultivated, the undomesticated, the primeval side of things. And so, you know, we all love a great mystery. And so, and then in the forest harbors lots of mysteries. Uh, the wild man, the wild man, the hairiness of the wild man icon, whether it's on a heraldic symbol from medieval Europe or, or, or what other form, um, hairiness denotes um, strength and virility and also a connection to nature on a philosophical layer the uh, you know the wild man almost represents our alter ego uh, there's the part of us that's domesticated that's civilized but there's that part of us that wants to run free you know you go uh, to the earliest literary traditions of, of Western civilization the Gilgamesh epic you've got this hero story <clears throat> and the co-star, the sidekick to the hero, is none other than Inkadu, a wild man covered in hair, who frolics with the animals, you know, cavorts with the wild things in the forest, and uh, and is ultimately seduced by a, a human woman, and he loses that contact. That's also a common theme, that sexuality and uh, the uh, connection between the the lascivious wild men abducting females is one that uh, crops up with gorillas with all sorts of other creatures of, of the forest and so you know and then you get to the more pragmatic uh, the more scientific perspective and we're as i'm as i alluded to we're we're learning that our our family tree is much bushier than we've ever appreciated there were many collateral parallel branches on this tree and that we may not be the only surviving twig on that tree. There may be others um, very closely related and some more, more distantly cast, like, uh, like I mentioned, the orang pendek or something. It might be a, a relic australopithecine or, um, or uh, Sasquatch may be a relic gigantopithecus, a giant ape we know existed into the late Pleistocene in Eastern Asia. So. You know, on, on many different levels, it's th there's a fascination with um, with these creatures just for the mystery and the intrigue of it. Plus, it embodies a, an entity that that is sort of a a mirror to our own personality, our own evolution and behaviors. I mean, you know, one of the most popular attractions at a zoo or a circus are the the apes. You know, and, and how do we use that term ape? We, we use it it's a mimic it's an imitator 
And it's that similarity to us that we find so fascinating. Meldrin believes, based on an ecological model done using black bear populations, that there are some 3,000 or so Sasquatch still roaming the remote forests of North America and Canada. As for the ability of one of these creatures to use tools, much less be able to play a saxophone, Meldrin has his doubts. They seem to be way down the, the rung. They, uh, even these early Australopithecines were basically, some have said, uh, little more than bipedal chimpanzees, chimpanzees that walked on two legs. Um, because they don't have, there's no evidence of, of uh, say, stone tool culture. Um, just just opportunistic wielding of sticks or throwing of stones, the same kinds of opportunistic tool use that we might observe in a chimpanzee or an orangutan. Um, they don't seem, uh, we, we do have some evidence of handprints, and they don't seem to have that, that uh, opposability of the... Uh, you know, that uh, precision grip that is so distinctive of the later hominins, you know, and seem to accompany um, uh, the evolution of, uh, of stone tool use, other, other kinds of tools. And so, um, you know, they seem to be largely solitary. Most uh, encounters and most footprint finds seem to be of solitary individuals or what we take to be females with offspring in tow. Um, there's been some suggestion about language, and uh, certainly apes have a, a diverse vocal repertoire. So whether there's actually, you know, articulate language or just some more complex uh, uh, vocalizations that uh, you know carry significance to them, that remains to be seen. But yeah, these these are. Um, these are not simply wild humans. They're, they're quite distinctive. And their anatomy, their adaptations for locomotion and so forth, uh, you know, if we talk about the footprints, that will also reiterate the fact that they are not just enlarged facsimiles of a human footprint. They have very distinctive traits that one might expect for this very heavy heavily uh, uh, um, boned and bodied, muscled um, ape-like creature that walks on two legs in a very rugged and rough environment. But what of his own Sasquatch encounters? What terror awaited me in these North Carolina woods? I needed to find out. One of the first times I did field work in Northern California, we had uh, uh, something uh, which in introduced itself with vocalizations that uh, these high-pitched screams from, from some great distance. But then eventually they came in around our camp and and uh, the sound of footfalls, the clacking of teeth back and forth. There were two of them, I believe. And then rifling through our backpacks, but eluding, eluding us. Our backpacks, we, we were, we, the two of us were, were separated from the from the principal group in the base camp and had done some reconnaissance at some uh, off-trail lakes to see if we could find tracks in the exposed mudflats. And and uh, we didn't find tracks there, but we had something um, uh, respond to our vocalizations <laughs> and, uh, and come and visit our camp. And we were in little bivy tents under a big cedar tree and our backpacks were separating. 
uh, outside, you know, wrapped up uh, to protect them from the, the mist and the rains. A fog bank had rolled in there off the California coast. And we were completely socked in, which added to the, the eerie atmosphere, obviously. But um, then there was this sound of footfalls and this clacking of teeth and the bangity bang of our backpacks being pillaged and uh, you know in search of, of uh, food that was in there. And uh, it would it would just be a great campfire story, except that we found footprints. I mean it. Uh, the, at one point, it ran right past my tent, one of them, and uh, dragged its hand along the rain fly. You know, I could see it pressing in into the tent as it ran past, and it hit the one of the poles, and my whole tent jostled. And uh, upon jumping out of my tent, there were in in what little grass there was there, um, there were 16-inch imprints of of large flat feet, and then it ran through a, a, a sort of a little effluent from the spring we were camped nearby and uh, left punch marks in the boggy soil there, which immediately filled back in with water. So uh, it was a pretty uh, pretty interesting experience. Um, we were in the uh, Six Rivers National Forest of Northern California. So it's the Blue Creek drainage, which is literally just one ridge over from the infamous or famous uh, Patterson Gimlin film site and so right there in the you know the wilderness of Northern California pretty uh, I mean, it, it set the hook even deeper <laughs> now back to my search for this musical missing link I began to ask around in the forest towns and one light hamlets that dot the Blue Ridge Mountains but folks would clam up at the first word of his name I remember being in a bar one evening and buying a local gentleman a few shots of whiskey and he told me a story that made my hair stand on end about a missing mixtape of sorts supposedly left behind by this sex watch. We drank some more and he told me tales of a man with a grassy horn that played like the wind like no man could play. He took me back to his cabin deep in the woods, and we sat on his porch and listened to a dusty vinyl record spin. But then he dropped the needle, and my jaw hit the floor. music emanating from that phonograph did not sound human, more that it was sent from the outer limits by some mythical being who played jazz saxophone so beautifully it brought tears to my eyes. So I offered to pay him to take me to Sasquatch, but he refused, saying the creature was better left alone to be free and wild and to play his horn, and that he wanted no part of any attempt at cornering him. But I insisted. For science, I said, and music. I was enraptured and obsessed. He must be found and shown to the world. Still, he would not capitulate, but instead drew me a map to a place over and beyond, so remote it seemingly did not exist. 
It was there, he said, I would find the beast with the brassy horn, and I could ask him my questions. Steeled by my own determination to find the origin of that siren sound, I set forth on an expedition into the woods. For two days I walked, through thundering rain that poured so heavily I thought it would swallow me up. And the more I walked, the more I felt like I was being pulled by something beyond my control. I broke for camp late into the evening and listened to the night sky and the music of the woods. In this reverie, I drifted into a peaceful slumber, only to be awakened by a sound no man or animal could make. It was both a shriek and a growl. I heard the beast and its footprints, and it shook my tent. For fifteen minutes it circled me. Each step he took, the closer he got. Had I made a terrible mistake? If that was the legendary Sasquatch, he most certainly did not want to be found. All around me I heard a terrible pounding and the felling of trees. I felt to be in imminent danger. The beast would surely kill me and my body would never be found. And then, just as suddenly as it started, the commotion stopped. And the creature was gone. There was a silence at that moment that was quieter than anything I'd ever heard. It was the silence of a forest, terrified, terrified into quiet. Not a being stirred, not a bird or a mouse. It was as if the world had stopped. And then I heard a saxophone and the sound that came forth stirred me beyond emotion to go from terror to elation so quickly created a disorienting joy inside me that no words can express. So he played, and I listened. And when morning broke, I awoke back in my tent. Had it all been a wonderful, terrible dream? Or had I really just encountered the sex squatch? No matter. If it was a dream, so be it, and what a dream it was. But I knew it to be real, and was determined to continue my quest. It was close to nightfall on the second day of my journey, when I came upon a cabin. Last evening's encounter still had me on edge and afraid for my life. What beasts lurked in these woods other than Sasquatch? And if he did not want to be found, what would he do to protect his secret? But I had come too far in my quest to turn back. So I walked towards this cabin, hoping to find a familiar face, and maybe even a roof and a bed. Perhaps this person had knowledge of the Sasquatch, or maybe he had had an encounter similar to my own. But hope is a fool's errand when the subject are beasts and monsters. And the closer I walked to this cabin, the more I began to feel a fear well up inside of me. Still I labored forth. Each step were like my legs stuck in cement. Every fiber of my being was telling me not to go. But like before, something was pulling me to him. First it was the smell. A strong musk that was overpowering to the nostril, but not altogether displeasing. 
Atrosphere Isle. I felt enraptured by it. And then I heard the music. Once again, it stopped me in my tracks. Inside that cabin was my destiny, and I felt it my duty to go forth and return to you with this story. I got to the foot of the cabin door, I heard the sound of the beast once again, and it was an awful sound. He was feeding on something recently caught and killed. I could hear Sasquatch tearing into its flesh and gnawing at his prize. I waited at the door, not wanting to interrupt his feast, but he seemed to finish as I knocked. A loud belch from the beast came forth but no other reply. So I knocked again, and the beast responded by stomping inside his cabin and shattering the remaining windows, as if to say, go away. Still, I stood my ground. If this was to be a test of wills, I would be the last one standing no matter what. So I knocked a third time, and the door creaked open by magic. And there, lying on the floor, was the Sasquatch. How do you describe something that science says does not exist? He was magnificent. Backlit by a roaring fire, he lay prone on the floor. In his arms, he cradled a saxophone. How could a beast so violent he's able to fell trees be so gentle in the presence of a woodwind instrument? Sasquatch was large, over seven feet tall, covered in hair, and was naked to the eye and as wild a creature as I've ever laid eyes on. The only hint of civilization on the beast, beyond his saxophone and a few earthly belongings, were the accoutrements in which he adorned himself. Despite the darkness, he wore oakly blades, and he kept his hair covered with a blue bandana. If you look from the right angle, he could be the macho man Randy Savage. But this creature was no man. He motioned for me to sit down, and then to my astonishment he spoke. The words at first would not come except for a guttural grunt, and I could see the frustration on his face as he tried to communicate his thoughts. He clearly had not seen or spoken to another human being in quite some time. I told him to take his time and gather his thoughts. I was in no rush and had come to these woods to see him. I finally took stock of the cabin and was surprised, not just at its neatness, but its decor. Somehow the beast had assembled an amazing collection of mid-century furniture. The floors were covered with beautiful Persian rugs, and on the walls hung photos of jazz greats. He had piles of books, mainly biographies, Cash on Cash, Hammer of the Gods, stuff like that, in addition to an impressive collection of mint condition vinyl. Finally, he spoke, 
Rather, he commanded me to state my business. What had I sought him out for, and what did I intend to do? His stare was intimidating, but not unkind. I told him as plainly as possible that his music drew me into these woods, that I'd heard of his legend, that I'd seen his rendition of One More Time on YouTube, and that it had blown me away. I wanted to know who he was and how he learned to do what he does. Who had taught him to play and to speak? I had so many questions. So I took out my tape recorder and placed it between us. And what follows is the only remaining evidence of my encounter with Sasquatch. Sasquatch interview, July 7th, 2020. It is 2 a.m. Okay, let's, uh, let's start with a basic question. Why the saxophone? What drew you to the instrument that you would risk your freedom to play it? Um, so, I used to have an old radio, and, uh, and I would, uh, run power from this gentleman's house out in the woods, and, and, um, and so I would get local radio, and I remember the song Urgent by Foreigner came on, and there's that sweet sax solo right in the middle of the song played by Junior Walker. And it's just so primal, and it's just so invigorating, and it's just so full of life. And after I heard that sound, I was like, I have to do this. I knew I needed to go get a saxophone. Where on earth did you find the saxophone? In a pawn shop in the mountains. I wore like a, I wore like a, you know, a hat. I kind of came in in disguise, and, and uh, it was good. They bought it. For such a solitary creature, you are a remarkable performer. How do you balance the two urges? One not to be seen and the other needing to play. Hmm. So I am an introvert, but I do enjoy expressing myself in front of people and getting the live reaction. And um, just something to be said about the insane energy um, when I do shows and people are, you know, you know, wearing, you know, Bigfoot hands that look like mine and, and they're, they're playing blow up saxophones and everyone's having a great time loving the music and, and, uh, and, you know, the, the, the diversity of the people is just incredibly, uh, <laughs> entertaining. And, you know, most people know me for the videos they see online, but it's, it's much better playing live and, and meeting people and seeing them in person. And tell me how it was that you were introduced to jazz. Was it through your larger Sasquatch family? Yeah, 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 the Squatch fam. Yeah, we all, you know, love music. And, you know, I know that human culture has been known for um, identifying, you know, when we knock sticks together and when we make our own kind of music in the woods. Um, but, but really, the, the, the Squatch uh, music culture goes, goes pretty deep. And uh, for me, I was raised listening to um, a lot of, you know, really good jazz guitar playing and piano playing and saxophone playing, um, especially from, you know, West Coast jazz cats and, and New York, uh, New York club cats in New Orleans, uh, you know, vibes that just 
really colorful music. So um, that's how I got started. Are there a lot of other Sasquatch musicians? No, they weren't. They weren't really as much players as they were um, just enthusiasts. And so, um, you know, when I when I picked up the sacks, you know, that's when they all started, uh, you know, realizing that, you know, my name Sasquatch. It finally made sense, you know. You're risking a lot by playing in public. Don't you fear capture? Do I fear capture? Um, I'm seven feet tall. Uh, I don't really have a lot of fear. I mean, who's capturing me, you know? I'm, I'm hoping that the music is so good that they all just start vibing, you know? And then they're like, we don't need to capture him. We can just let him be free and do his thing. Your fur pelt is glorious. Are you using human products, or is that all natural? My fur. I, I use Pantene Extra Soapy Smooth. Um, it gets me in the mood for some soapy sacks. And uh, the female squatches, they love that. Now, you've been playing a lot. You've been collaborating with a lot of different musicians. And by and large, you've been really accepted by the music industry. How did all of this get started? So, I always loved the saxophone. As a matter of fact, I would uh, sneak into the city um, to be a street musician when I was first starting. And uh, it was kind of, when I was younger, it was kind of an interesting time. I befriended a lot of really cool uh, homeless people. <laughs> and uh, I would uh, play for tips on the street. And now, were people recognizing you? Uh, I blended in a little bit, but, um, you know, a couple people would, you know, tell their friend they saw me, but no one really believes them ever, you know. Um, but it's, it's funny, I, uh, I love seeing how people did react when I played, and I just have a lot of crazy stories from situations that would happen. I remember one time I was playing my sax on this wall and it was sort of late at night and this couple came by and they were arguing very aggressively, arguing and fighting. And they were a married couple and they sat on a bench know, about 30 feet away from me. And um, as they were fighting, I decided to play some love songs on the sax. And, you know, I was playing some old jazz classics and ballads and really romantic and uh they started making out <laughs> and that was that was when i learned the, some of the beauty that music has to offer and afterwards the lady came up and and she uh, gave me 20 bucks and said thank you obviously i know why i'm drawn to your music but what do you think the appeal of sasquatch is to the everyday public yeah i think i'm just i think i'm just different you know I've always been different, and so I think people people like me because they know that I'm, um, you know, genuine, and I'm different. You know, I just want to make good music. And then the interview just finished. Sasquatch was bored. How do you explain to someone why you love something so much? It's like trying to explain a sunset 
or the open ocean or the vastness of the universe. He simply loved music and felt compelled to play his saxophone despite the numerous dangers that could befall him if he were to be captured in public. That's it. He did it because he loved it. He would not let me take his picture, nor could I even take a copy of his missing mixtape, for which he'd pressed a few thousand copies. Those were for the real fans, he said. Then I left, feeling slightly downcast, as if my life's purpose had suddenly found its meaning, and what else would be left for me once I left this forest? And so I walked out, another two long days on foot to the nearest road. The entire time, the music of Sasquatch played inside my head. Looking back on this encounter, I can only say that I stared into the belly of the beast, and I liked it. Thanks for listening. Yo, what is that music? It was the Squatch. for stuff you can't see. I know they exist. So you know you exist. They. They? There are speeches. You are a Squatchologist. Have you seen Bigfoot? Yeah, yeah, I have. Thanks for listening. It is indeed a disturbing universe. And sometimes... If you open your mind at the right place, at the right time, attuned to the margins and blurrier aspects of our reality, you will begin to see. The Sex Squatch Missing Mixtape, billed as the sexiest songs on the planet, is available for pre-order now while supplies last at sexsquatch.com. Make sure to check out his live streams on Facebook and on Instagram at Sexquatch. And remember, stay wild, people. The Legend of Sexquatch was a special episode of The Pet Show brought to you by Audio Up Media. Written, produced, and hosted by me, Jimmy Jelinek. Dennis Quaid is currently vacationing in Alaska. Our executive producers are Jared Guchtat and Dennis Quaid. The incredible sound design and editing was done by our head of production, Tyler Dorson, and our story producer is Emma Rapold. Special thanks to Sex Squatch's musical partners and amazing dynamic production team, Half an Orange. We'll talk to you later. Hi, I'm Dennis Quaid. I recently started a podcast network called Audio Up, and I wanted to tell you about our newest series called Where the Bodies Are Buried. 
in this true crime podcast, renowned serial killer profiler Phil Chalmers conducts interviews with psychopathic serial killers behind bars. Phil forges an unprecedented connection with these notorious killers to get them to open up and share information previously impossible to obtain. What I like the most about where the bodies are buried is how in-depth the podcast goes into each story. In fact, in just the first episode, Phil discerns key details to solve a 15-year-old cold case and provides the victim's family with long-earned closure. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Take a listen to Where the Bodies Are Buried on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get podcasts.